Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here. I was thinking this week about uh, times in my life or people in my life that have received unwanted gifts sometimes at Christmas. Like, for instance, uh, I can remember uh, being a kid, probably upper elementary school age uh, at some point. Uh, when I decided I knew exactly what I needed and what I wanted for Christmas. And so uh, I had set my eyes at that particular time on a uh, big old, this is back in the day when like bigger was better. So like big old stereo system, like speakers that were like, I don't know, taller than I was at the time. And like, I don't know, had like probably had a record player and like a couple tape decks or something. It was pretty snazzy, I tell you. But but, uh, we, I mean, I had my eyes set on this. I thought, you know what? This is what I need for Christmas. This is what I want for Christmas. And so so I started taking my parents through Walmart, uh, you know, like any chance, anytime we went in there, I would drag them over to the stereo aisle and I went down and I'd let them know which ones would be acceptable and which ones wouldn't be, you know, for Christmas, that kind of thing. I did not go over that well. And uh, so then a little bit later, uh, when the Christmas season came, we started getting all those ads and stuff in the newspaper. I started clipping out, uh, you know, sales and deals and all these kind of things on stereos that I thought, oh, this would be great. And so I left those uh, in strategic locations around our house. And that kind of stuff, and uh, and and finally, I thought, well, I better have the conversation with them. And so, uh, you know, I can remember saying, you know, it's you know, if this was all I got for Christmas, you know, I mean, you might be worried that only one thing would not, you know, I'd be uh, that would be perfectly fine with me. And so I kind of, you know, I had that conversation with them and all that. So I I did everything I could to make sure I was getting the stereo for Christmas, and uh, and so finally the day came. You know, I, I was one of those kids, especially you know, in younger kids' days, I was up. Before the crack of dawn, I don't know what time it was. It was probably still dark outside. I got up. I was downstairs. I'm looking under the tree. I'm looking for something big, something substantial, a big box that was under the tree. There was nothing that size underneath uh, the tree, Christmas tree whatsoever. And so I, I, uh, I was a little disappointed, a little disheartened. There's a couple things maybe that were medium sized, but I'm like that couldn't be. I don't, I don't know what's going on. And so, uh, you know, a couple hours later, probably my parents finally got up and and uh, we. It was time to open presents, and so we kind of went through all of them. I got down to my last present, and I was I was pretty bummed at the time. I was a little disheartened, and sort of I was half-heartedly opening up Christmas presents. And uh, I remember opening up that that last present, thinking it's way too small to be a stereo. There's, I just didn't get a stereo this year, and so I rip it open. And I was even uh, more disheartened to realize when I finally got the box open, it was a uh, a brick in the bottom of this thing. It was uh, one of those. Um, like a building, what do you call those? Uh, cement block, like cinder block. Yeah, cinder block. One of those big kind of bricks in the bottom. It was my parents' idea of a joke. So I, uh, <coughs> excuse me. As it turned out, I did end up getting uh, a stereo that year, but but uh, not before I was pretty disheartened and pretty disillusioned and a little bit discouraged. I received a gift that I in no way wanted: a, uh, a cinder block. Well, I was thinking again about uh, one of my best friends from college. Uh, we've been friends throughout the years. Uh, is a guy by the name of Mark. We used to call him Stick because he was six foot six inches tall, probably weighed 140 pounds. He's about that big around. And, uh, and so uh, he actually even lived with me for a while after, uh, after college. Um, so we've done life and ministry together. He's been good friends. We've stayed connected with him over the years. And I remember um, it was kind of cool. In fact, uh, both of us were uh, dating our future wives at the time we were living together. And so they ended up getting married like two weeks before Tina and I did. And so we've kind of always been in the same stage of life and ministry. And that's been really fun over the years and has kept us pretty close. But I remember... Um, um, uh, 
they came to visit us a, f- a few years after they'd been married. And I'll, I'll never forget Mark was sharing with me about an unwanted gift he got one time. It was their very first Christmas together as a couple. And actually, my friend Mark had spent a ton of time making sure that he got the perfect gift for his wife. He even, he even expressed to me and explained, he's like, he was like, I figured this was the first Christmas. Whatever I got her and whatever she got me would sort of set the tone for gift giving for our entire married life. So there's some pressure on this. And so he had thoughtfully gone out. He had carefully sought the, the, the perfect present for her and he did a great job. And so he kind of hit a home run, but he was excited then because he had set that kind of level of expectation. He was so excited to, to, uh, to open and to figure out what it was that his wife had gotten him for Christmas. And so he thought, man, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see. I mean, I've put all this time and money and energy into finding the perfect gift. I can't wait to, uh, to find what she got for me. And so the, the morning came uh, and they exchanged gifts with each other. She unwrapped it. And again, he did great. She was blown away. She's like, oh my gosh. And so he's, you know, the anticipation levels rising for him. He's like, oh, I can't wait. And so he opens up this gift and it's a nose hair trimmer. <laughs> just, what, just what every guy wants to receive from his, his, you know, newlywed bride, right? Like a nose hair trimmer. <laughs> take the hint or something. I don't know. But it was, uh, it was done in love. She thought he really wanted it. She had misunderstood the signals and thought that he was hinting that the this is what he wanted for Christmas and so all that kind of stuff. But that talk about an unwanted gift. That was not exactly what he was hoping for. Uh, hopefully that didn't set the stage for what gift giving would be like for the rest of their married life. But, uh, some of you might be wondering, you know, there might be a present for you at home underneath a tree, or maybe there will be sometime in the next week or two. And if you're wondering what it is, there you go. Maybe it's a nose hair trimmer that your, that your uh, spouse got for you. So anyway, one more. Uh, I remember a uh, couple years after Tina and I moved up to Wisconsin, uh, we found out that Tina was pregnant. This is uh, maybe about Thanksgiving time or something that we we uh, we found out, and uh, we were completely overjoyed. We were blown away. Uh, Tina had this sort of glow about her uh, in this day. She was just radiant. I mean, it was great. We were excited, uh, all this kind of stuff. And uh, because of some family history and some stuff, there's even some question about whether we actually be able to have kids. And so we weren't sure. And so you can just imagine uh, the excitement that we felt. And we were uh, were so excited. In fact, we couldn't keep it to ourselves. And so we ended up sharing it uh, with friends and with family members and and that kind of stuff. And I'll never forget uh, a few weeks later, Later, maybe six weeks later, during uh, right around Christmas time, um, uh, Tina had a miscarriage, and uh, I can remember just the disappointment. And talk about an unwelcomed gift for the season. Uh, it, it raised all kinds of questions for us. There was grieving process that was involved. We had to go back to each person that we had told. <laughs> then you had to go back and, like, again over Christmas, be like, "Oh, excited about the baby," and you had to go back and say, "Yeah." lost the baby. And it was just sort of brought up this pain and this raised all these questions. And now there's all these doubts about, are we going to be able to have family? And what's this about? It was, it was a really hard season for us. One of great disappointment, one that we um, wrestled and we asked a lot of hard questions and we started asking questions of God about God. Why aren't you on board with our plans? You know what, what is the deal with this? Why aren't you coming through in the way that we think you should? Where are you? What are you doing? Some of those kinds of, of questions. Uh, and I, you know, those of you that know us know, I mean, we went on, we had 
three amazing kids that we uh, love and adore most of the time. <laughs> Just kidding. But, uh, but uh, you know, it, it was great. But again, you didn't know that at the time. And uh, I would say even though we, of course, are crazy about our kids, after that, that loss the first time, I have to say our hearts were what much more guarded in the future. And, and it, it kind of opened the door to a depth of disappointment that we were unfamiliar with up to that point. It was certainly an unwanted holiday experience. Well, I think disappointment, I'm sharing these things because I think disappointment is one of those things that's sort of a universal experience, isn't it? All of us face disappointment at times. If you care about someone or something, chances are you've been disappointed at some point. If you've had expectations or hopes or dreams, then there have been times when you have been disappointed throughout your journey. You may have been disappointed by a spouse. You might have been disappointed by parents or friends, coworkers or bosses, companies, churches. Sometimes we're disappointed in our own health, our own bodies, uh, our own jobs, whatever. All of us have been disappointed by people and by the stuff of life at some point. You know, I like, I like to ask people questions sometimes. And when you ask people about dreams, I'm amazed. I think oftentimes things that we are dreaming about are fairly simple kinds of things. We, kind of, we tend to dream dreams that uh, are pretty straightforward. Like, you know what, I, my dream, I want to have a happy life. I want things to go well for me. I want the scales of my life to kind of tip more towards the positive than the negative. I want the sun to shine in January and February even, right? In, in dark seasons, in eras that are cold and whatever else. I want there to be sunshine. I want there to be good stuff. I want to get raises and promotions in my work. When I want to lose weight, I want to be able to go to bed and have weight magically disappear during my sleeping hours, right? I want, I want good things to happen to good people because if we were God, that's how we'd make things work, right? We would want things to work out according to our plans and according to our will pretty much all the time. But you know what? That's not reality, is it? That's not the way things always work out. We are on week number two of a series that we're doing here at Ignite called In the Meantime, Waiting on God to Show Up. And this whole thing, this whole series is sort of addressing those times in our lives when we have been praying and hoping and waiting, but God doesn't seem to come through or show up or answer in the ways that we wanted him to. What do we do when God seems late or when he doesn't cooperate with our plans? Or what do we do when he feels distant? And so we're spending a few weeks sort of leading up to Christmas, looking at the Christmas story and a few other passages from Scripture, and we're talking about, uh, you know, and addressing this whole uh, topic of waiting on God and waiting for God to show up, and what do we do in the meantime? Today we're going to be talking about waiting uh, when God doesn't cooperate with our plans, waiting when God doesn't give us what we want, or even worse, waiting when God gives us unwanted gifts. And I want to zero in today on a, one particular passage. It's from Matthew chapter 1, and it's about Mary. But especially we're going to zero in on the life of uh, Joseph. And so we're going to talk about this maybe in a way that is different from how you've heard it before. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you open them up to Matthew chapter 1. If not, I'd encourage you to, uh, to open up the Ignite Church app. If you don't have it yet, you can download it, uh, that kind of thing. But there's a message notes place in there, and there's a ways you can follow along. So I'd encourage you to do so. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18, says this. says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the one that the people had been waiting for. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, 
she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. After Joseph, uh, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not uh, consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So this is a passage that many of us have heard before, but as a result, I think it's easy for us to sort of read right over the struggle and maybe even the disappointment and the pain that's happening right smack dab in the middle of the story. Because for this godly young couple, for this this couple, Mary and Joseph, in this story, they have received an unwanted gift, so to speak, because God was not cooperating with their plans. Let me just kind of walk you through the story from this perspective for a minute. (coughs) Excuse me. (laughs) All right. So let me just kind of walk you through this passage uh, if I can. First of all, it says it starts out saying Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, it says. Now, they were betrothed is what it means quite literally. Not exactly the same as dating in today's day and age. They didn't meet on Match.com. It wasn't like a classic love story like we would tend to think of it. Joseph was likely around 18 years old, and Mary was probably in her younger teens, maybe 13 years old. They, didn't, they likely didn't know each other. It was probably an arranged marriage like almost all marriages were in that day. But once it was arranged, it had the same legal weight as an actual marriage. The two parties were referred to as husband and wife, even though they weren't officially married yet. But they could only be separated from that point forward by a legal divorce. During the betrothal period, which would last more than a year, typically, the couple uh, didn't live together. Uh, They would not and could not be intimate, which means the one thing that wasn't supposed to happen during this betrothal period was a pregnancy, which means this was a big deal in that day and age. A pregnancy outside of marriage was a very serious dilemma for them. It was a very serious dilemma for Joseph. In fact, I can't express to you just how big of a deal it would have been. If you go on in the story, it says that Joseph uh, was faithful to the law. It says older translations translated as upright or was a righteous man. But this is actually referring to a class of people in that culture, in that day and age, that was known as the Sadiq. I read some fascinating study this week from a guy by the name of Scott Scruggs, who's done some great, great research on this. And he says this, he says, a Sadiq was known for being devoted and faithful to the Lord, to living out the law, every last detail of it. So they were people of God's book, people whose entire lives and entire worldview were centered around loving and following and knowing and serving God. They wanted to obey him in every part of their lives. These people, they wouldn't eat unclean food. They wouldn't hang out with immoral people. They wouldn't violate the Sabbath laws. They wouldn't ignore the holy days of Israel. They were serious about worshiping and following and obeying God. A Sadiq would certainly not enter into a marriage with a woman who was already pregnant. 
rumors would spread around uh, about where the child would have come from. It just would have never happened. Joseph is that man. He was a righteous man, a law-abiding man. He was a sadiq. It was the highest honor that a simple carpenter from Nazareth could have achieved in his lifetime, and he worked hard, likely, for this reputation. It was Joseph's dream that one day, that in his future, that his marriage, that his family would be known and consumed and all surrounded around this faithfulness and this devotion to God. It's what he wanted more than anything else. And then one day, God broke into his story with an unexpected and an unwanted gift. Mary is pregnant. Your fiance, who you are not officially yet married to, is pregnant. I mean, rumors would have broken out almost instantly all over town. Imagine Mary trying to explain it to Joseph. Well, I'm pregnant. And Joseph says, and who, may I ask, is the father? And she says, God. Right? I mean, what would your response be? Uh-huh, right? I mean, like, yeah, so God is the father. I mean, even if you could wrap your brain around, okay, the Holy Spirit impregnated your fiance. Do you think anybody else around town is going to believe that? Is that going to be what the gossip train starts spreading around? I mean, the logical next question is, yeah, if, if it wasn't Joseph, then she'd hooked up with somebody else. I mean, can you imagine? In a small town for, for a, a man and, and even a woman that we could see if we dug into her story more, whose, whose lives and heart were all consumed with wanting to honor and please and follow and obey God. This would have been devastating. I mean, this would have been so, uh, so disheartening. Even the consequences in that day for a woman getting pregnant outside of marriage was, were significant, right? The, if, if things went well, the best you could hope for in that sort of uh, instance would be public shame and public disgrace. The worst case scenario is a public stoning. It was a big deal in that day and age. By the way, ever wonder why Joseph, when the census was taken, traveled with his nine-month pregnant wife from Nazareth to Bethlehem, even though the law didn't require that? Ever wonder why uh, he would put her on a donkey and, you know, walk with her all this distance, go with her all this distance when it was beyond what was required of her? Could it be that they feared for her safety? Could it be that the rumor mills were spreading stuff around and they didn't know where it was going to go? Could it be that the husband, this husband didn't want his future wife to be um, gossiped about, to be slandered or to be stoned while he was gone? Anyway, Joseph came up with a plan of his own. He decided that he would act mercifully. Instead of exposing her to public disgrace or shame, he opts to divorce her quietly, it says. He decides to protect her and his own reputation at the same time and chooses to be gracious towards her. Here's what I want you to notice uh, in this passage so far. Joseph would have been incredibly disappointed. He would have been incredibly frustrated and disillusioned. This is not what he had dreamed about. This is not how he had played out marriage and the start of his family in his mind. This was not a gift that he wanted. And so he decides he's going to take matters into his own hands and he's just going to end this thing quietly. He's going to divorce her, but he's still going to divorce her. Of course, that's what he would do, right? He's a Sadiq. He's, he was an upright, God-fearing kind of man. Verse 20 says that after he had considered this, the word, actually, the, the word that he considered there, the phrase there, actually implies that he was angry, he was frustrated, he was fuming. And of course he was. This was his story, his future, his life, his dreams had all come crashing down before his eyes. 
Let me stop for a second and just ask you a question. Have you ever experienced that in your life? That kind of disappointment? Ever had your hopes and dreams come crashing down around you? I bet there's quite a few of us that can identify with Joseph here a little bit. And we've experienced and we've received unwanted gifts like that. Maybe you or somebody you know received a terrible diagnosis at a doctor's office that left you reeling. Maybe this time of year is hard for you because it reminds you of somebody that you love that's not around. Could it be that they've died? Could it be that they've left or whatever? But either way, it's a wound that's in your soul and in your heart and just reminds you they are not there. Could be that uh, you've lost your job and things just aren't the way you want them to be financially. Could be that you're estranged from somebody. Maybe your, your kids or a loved one. Maybe there are circumstances in your life that have changed for the worse this year and you just feel disappointed. You feel disillusioned. That God, like God hasn't come through in the ways that you wanted him to. And so the question that I find myself asking is, so if all of us experience stuff like that at one time or another, what do we do in seasons like that? How do we respond? How do we live and wait in the meantime? There's a couple things that I just want you to notice, a couple lessons that I just want us to learn as we kind of go through this passage. The first one is this, in the midst of Joseph's disappointment and his discouragement, God shows up and God speaks. When he least expects it, God shows up, not when life is all tidy and everything's going his way, not when everything is exactly as he envisioned it would be, not when everything is good, not when all is calm and all is bright. But when Joseph is closest to disappointment, we see God break in and that kind of takes us to the point. When we are closest to disappointment, I think God is closest to us. Psalm 34, 18 puts it this way. The Lord is close to who? The brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I think it's true. When we are closest to disappointment, I think God is closest to us. Now, let me just clarify. Is God always present with us? Is he always here? Of course, of course he is. But it is in those moments, I think, when our dreams and our hopes have been crushed, when we're lonely and empty and disillusioned, it's when we are most disappointed that we actually stop and turn our souls and our eyes Godward, and we stop and we listen and we ask questions and we pour out our heart and then we just wait before him. And so often it's in those moments that we actually hear and encounter and come to see and know the living God. It's in those moments that we discover the Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the God who is there, the God who speaks, and the God who is present, the God who brings comfort. And it's in those moments when we find new hope and new dreams and sort of God's dreams that are given to us. And that's exactly what happens here in the story is Joseph is considering these things as he's uh, upset. He's thinking about divorcing Mary quietly and he's angry and pondering his loss and his disappointment with Mary, his failure, his future, his, his, you know, even this uh, disillusionment with God. It's then that God speaks and God says, Joseph, son of David, he reminds him, first of all, son of David, the lineage that the Messiah, the chosen one, the savior is supposed to come. He says, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is really from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves because he will save his people. He will save your people from their sins. It's in that moment that God speaks and makes his presence known. 
He reveals his plans to Joseph. He reveals who he is to Joseph, a little bit more of who he is. And not only that, but he sends Jesus. He sends the Emmanuel, God with us. He sends Jesus to be with Joseph and Mary. The one that the Jews had been waiting for was coming to Joseph and Mary first and then to the rest of the world. God with them. We're going to talk more about that next week and we'll go into a little bit more um, depth then. But let me just stop and just say, man, hit, hit the pause button for a second. I think it's so easy for us in these kinds of seasons. Christmas, right? It's a busy era. It's a busy time of life. It's so easy for us just to get consumed with the busyness, to get consumed with everything that's going on, all the parties and all the whatever. It's so easy to get consumed with entertainment. It's so easy to get consumed with our own priorities, our own hopes and our own dreams that we miss out on this peace. We miss God, the living God present with us in these moments. And while it is true that I think it's probably the times when we are most broken that we see and experience God, it doesn't have to be that way. And so my encouragement for you, uh, and what I'm just going to say at this point is, man, no matter how you're doing, if you are, you know, if everything is going your way, or if you are at the bottom and you feel discouraged and disillusioned and maybe you just feel done and exhausted and tired of all the running and all the whatever, wherever you're at on that spectrum, would you take time this season to hit the pause button a little bit and to stop and to turn your eyes and your heart Godward? And even just cry out, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to experience you as the God who is with me. Open my eyes to see you. Open my ears to hear from you. Because friends, he's, he's here, the Bible says. He wasn't just here 2,000 years ago when he came from heaven to earth, but he is here. He's with us always to the very end of the age. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's present and active and living. And he wants to be a part of our lives. If you will just hit the pause button, maybe even open up his book and say, God, would you speak? Would you speak to me through your word? Would you speak to me through your spirit? I want to follow you and know you this Christmas season and beyond. Man, don't miss it. This, this season, right? Don't, let's not get so consumed with all the other stuff that we miss out on his presence with us. All right, let's go on. Second, second thing I just want to hit is I think our disappointments can oftentimes lead us to divine appointments, to divine agenda, divine plans, to God's plans for us. This is this, the crazy part of this story is that God doesn't really give Joseph what it was that he wanted. He didn't really give him the nice little squeaky clean life with the good reputation that Joseph so eagerly desired. In fact, in fact, God goes on to ask Joseph to embrace and enter into the scandal, to bind himself to a woman who is thought to be an adulterous woman and a child who is thought to be illegitimate. He would have left himself open to all kinds of gossip and slander. The There'd be a great cost to his reputation, a cost to his life, even a cost to his future. It's probably significant. In fact, during Jesus' ministry, uh, you might remember that he ends up going back uh, for a season to, uh, to, to Bethlehem, to the, to the part, uh, or to Nazareth, I should say, his hometown, where he was from. And, uh, 
And it's interesting, he goes and he teaches there, he goes and does ministry and this kind of thing. And Mark 6, 3 uh, is interesting. When he comes and he teaches, the people are amazed and they say this, they say, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, they say? I just have to say that's an unusual thing to say because in that day and age, sons were always referred to as sons of their father, right? That was a big deal, sons of their father. It would be normal for people to say, hey, isn't that Joseph's son, not Mary's son. But even that, there's probably a little hint. There's probably a little bit that that hints at Joseph's lost something. There's been probably a loss of reputation. Even there, people are sort of still asking the question. Jesus goes on to say, only in in his hometown is a prophet without honor, Jesus says, right? I mean, there's there's this weird stuff that's going on, but it's kind of a hint at something has been lost, Something, isn't this Mary's son? They wouldn't even say his name. They wouldn't even say Joseph's name. He's likely been disgraced a little bit. His name and his reputation, it's not what it used to be. That's probably part of why he's rarely mentioned even in the scriptures. In fact, I found it interesting this week as I was studying, we don't know a single word that Joseph ever said. We only know about him. As opposed to Mary, the rest of the disciples, we have quotes from them that you can go back and see. But, but Joseph tends to just sort of fade into the backdrop. And maybe this is at least a partially why. Others have speculated that he died a little later in, in Jesus' life. Um, but I don't know, there's this, there's this question mark, there's this hesitation. Isn't this Mary's son? Listen to this quote from Scott Scruggs. I thought this is great. He says, but I can tell you, uh, I can tell you there was one person who never forgot what Joseph did that day, the child he took in. That little boy, he called his son. That boy never forgot what he saw in his father, the son whose father's righteousness surpassed those of the scribes and the Pharisees versus just following the letter of the law. The son who watched his father come to the defense of a woman who supposedly committed adultery and had compassion on her. The son who watched his father take the shame and the disgrace and the scandal of another so that they could live. He says, does that sound familiar to anybody else? Sounds just like Jesus. Maybe Joseph's life wasn't silent after all. His decision, his faith in that moment, don't be afraid, take Mary home as your wife and name Jesus as your son. It changed everything. It changed the story. It changed history. It cost him so much, but it changed his life and it opened up the possibility that Christmas could ever happen in the first place. In the midst of our disappointments, God brings this divine appointment, a divine destiny, meaning that God invited Joseph to trade in his dream for something better, for God's dream. I mean, listen to the rest of the story once again. Says this, starting in verse 21. He says, don't be afraid, right? To take take Mary home as your wife and to to take Jesus as your son. Says she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Right smack dab in the middle of Joseph and Mary's disappointments, God busts in with a new plan, 
a plan to save humanity, a plan to send a savior to them, a plan to send God's son into their home and eventually into the world, and then one day to the cross and to the resurrection so that all of mankind, all of humanity could live and could find salvation and hope and new life. God gave them a mission, a new dream, a new calling to be a part of this, um, his amazing plan to redeem and restore humanity through Jesus. They get to hold the Savior in their arms, the one that Israel had been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the Savior of the world. I read a quote this week. I tried to find it, but I couldn't, so I'll have to paraphrase. Um, but there's a, a quote from one pastor that I thought was great. He said, Imagine, think of the irony of that. The almighty God that the universe itself cannot contain. He can't even fit his glory, his immensity, can't even fit in the universe. And yet, at the same time, he can be held by a carpenter in his arms. Like, think of that. Think of God coming down like that. They got to hold God in their arms as a result. And one day, through their, that son that had been entrusted to them, that savior, that Emmanuel, that God with us, one day through him, their family name would be restored. One day, honor would return to their family. One day, godliness, in fact, God himself would be seen through their family. Those things that Joseph longed for would eventually one day be realized through Christ. It wasn't in their timing. It was certainly not their plan. It was not what they were asking for or desired. But God brought about something better. He brought about his good plans to pass, plans that brought life and fullness and salvation, not just to them, but to the entire world. Friends, I'm not sure where you're at with God today. I'm not sure how he may be speaking to you. Maybe you're here and you're sort of new to this whole Jesus thing a little bit. And if that's you, let me just encourage you to spend some time this season to take a few moments and sort of check out this Jesus. I'd encourage you to open up God's book. If you don't have one, you can take one with you. We've got them on the back table. Open it up this season to to either the beginning of Matthew or the beginning of Luke. It's books in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. And read a little bit more about this Christmas story, this coming of a Savior for you. Get to know about this, this God that is crazy about you that came so that you and I could experience life. Come and check him out. Come and ask your questions. Come and pursue him a little bit. Turn your heart and your eyes towards him and see if he doesn't meet you there. Quiet your heart this season and look for the God, the Emmanuel, the God that is with us, the God that is present, that is here even now. Maybe you're here today and you're experiencing some significant disappointment or loss this season. And maybe you need to be reminded this morning that God is close to the brokenhearted. He's close in our disappointment. And maybe just take some time this season as well to turn to him, to actually quiet our hearts, to hit our knees, even just to to pour out our hearts to God and our disappointment and our whatever else. And then be still and quiet and look for him, listen for him, open up his book and hear from him and wait on him to show up and to speak and to minister and to give you strength to be able to go on. Maybe there's a relationship in your world that just isn't working out. 
And for whatever reason, you're estranged from somebody you love, from a spouse or a sibling or from parents or kids or friends or whoever. And maybe today God is prompting you to trust him and to choose the hard but gracious path of reaching out to them and maybe either asking for or offering forgiveness and committing yourself to love them again. Maybe one of your dreams has really been crushed and it doesn't seem like it's ever going to get resurrected. And maybe today God is prompting you in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of an unwanted gift, to to sort of open your eyes to his divine appointments. And maybe God is prompting you to step into a new dream, into his dream for you. Maybe rather than seeking your own agenda or your own advancement or your own well-being, maybe God will prompt you and is prompting you this season to invest your time and your resources in his agenda and in his plans and in the well-being of others. Maybe God will just, you know, help you to discover a passion or a love or fullness in serving the poor or in helping marriages thrive or investing in the next generation or in helping those who will never in their entire life step foot through a door of a church like this. But you have a relationship with them. Maybe he'll prompt you to, to help introduce them to the Savior. Maybe God has you here today to speak to you and to lead you into his plan to redeem the world, to save humanity through his son. You have a specific part to play and maybe this season, if you'll listen, if he will lead you and direct you on a trajectory that will affect the whole, the whole course of the rest of your life and it'll help you walk into a life of significance and meaning and purpose. I don't know, maybe this season is a lonely one for you. And maybe the living God is reminding you today and just saying that, you know what? He came as the Emmanuel. He's with you. He's present. He cares. And he can sustain you and fill you and love you in ways that you need in this season. I don't know, friends. He's got good stuff in store for you. He's the God who is faithful even when we can't see him. He's the one that gives us what we need, not necessarily what we ask for. He's the God who keeps his promises. He's the God that redeems, the God that restores, the God that heals, the God that answers prayer, the God that saves and rescues and brings his good plans to bear. Let's turn to him. Let's kind of, even now as we close in prayer, let's just kind of turn our eyes and our hearts towards him and ask, invite him in. Let's pray. Father, that is our cry. We, uh, Lord, I don't know what's going on in, in every person's heart or life right now. I'm not sure ways that you're speaking or prompting, but what we know is that we need you, Jesus. We need you in our lives. We need hope that comes only from you. We need your intervention in in, in parts of our lives that we just can't do on our own. We need you to direct our steps and our paths to lead the trajectory of our life. We need to know your presence and your fullness. We want to be consumed and filled and find life and hope and salvation and everything through you. So would you draw us home this morning? In the midst of the busyness, would you quiet our hearts? Would you quiet our minds? Would you make us aware of your presence? Would you fill our lives with your spirit? Would you direct us according to your purposes? Come and speak, God. 
Come and heal. Come and fill. Come and have your way. We need you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.